Welcome to the Finding a Job podcast. I'm your host, Jacob Billings. Joining us today is Grant Denmark, a third-year cell and molecular biology major at Northeastern. He currently does research in hereditary colon disorders at Mass General Hospital and research on the human microbiome in the Lewis Lab at Northeastern. He's a trained EMT and personal trainer on a pre-med track set to graduate next year. It's great to have you on the podcast today, Grant. Hey, Jacob. Thanks for having me, man. So what are the career paths you're considering? I'm only considering one career path at the moment, and that's to become a physician. So there hasn't been a whole lot of variability in that since I got to college. And I guess it's a lot different than someone who's, say, like majoring in business. But there are a lot of criteria to fill if you do want to get into medical school. So it's kind of, in some cases, the luck of the draw even if you have excellent credentials. So if that doesn't end up happening, then uh, I'd probably actually enter like the biotech arena. A little bit different, but I like to do my research. As you said, I spend a lot of time on it, a lot of time with patients. I'm going to be doing my co-op in Boston Medical Center in the physical therapy clinic. So that's just kind of where my interests lie. And I'm hoping to be able to get into medical school and then pursue that career path. Sweet. But why physician? I think that I kind of naturally gravitated towards the sciences earlier in my schooling because I wrote a lot of essays throughout high school and had some pretty difficult teachers that maybe thought I should write a little differently or didn't give me a grade I wanted. And I kind of realized pretty early on that I definitely don't want to go into the arts or the humanities or law or anything like that. So then when I was 16, I guess I was a sophomore in high school, I had a friend who told me about becoming an emergency medical technician or an EMT. And I had no idea what it was. So he basically told me that you get to respond to emergency medical situations like cardiac arrest, stroke, burns, anything you can imagine. And you're the first one to be dispatched and you can actually help people. So I got super interested in that and got my certification when I was 16 and got really involved with the ambulance company where I live. And it just kind of took off from there. So your podcast is called Finding a Job. So I guess in finding a job that you actually want to do, it's kind of nice to have the background of something that you're like familiar with, like being an EMT and going into medicine or something like that. So that's just kind of how I wanted to align myself, just getting my ducks in line a little bit and seeing like, okay, do I even like this to begin with, as opposed to just kind of jumping right into something with no prior experience. Interesting. It's cool to hear that you're seeking the fulfillment side of things rather than going monetary or whatever other people's focuses might be. Let's say you leave college and you become an EMT. What's the longer term trajectory after that? So getting into medical school is just so different than your typical classic, I guess, natural college path that you would take if you're in you know, business or pretty much anything that's not pre-law or pre-med because you're essentially seeking a job. And you know we both go to Northeastern and they do a terrific job at getting people jobs after college. But my focus is to getting into a university after being in a university for four years. So in doing so, you just kind of have to check off these stepping stones along the way, similar to how you would in your career, getting a platform for yourself and establishing yourself as like a designer or whatever it may be, a marketer. So it was my way of just establishing some clout, if you will. And then down the line, hopefully I can enter medical school, graduate and go into some sort of subspecialty where I'm a surgeon. Very cool. How many years of education do you have to do after you've graduated Northeastern? It really depends on what you do after medical school. But 
typically speaking, medical school is around four years. And then you have residency, which is another two to four years. And then you can go into a fellowship, which is another two years. So it can be up to 14 years, depending on what path you decide to take. But typically, it's like 11 years, something like that. So, you know, with a lot of business people, they're focusing on how they can get their first job after college. But you've got 14 years potentially of schooling. Is that intimidating to you? Do you wish it would be different? Kind of, are you going to get experience while you're doing that? Because that's a long time. It is a long time and it is really intimidating and scary, especially because there's just so much uncertainty with the whole process. You can not get into medical school right off the bat. You can get into medical school and then not get a residency or something might happen with malpractice where you can lose your license. So it is a lot of time. It's essentially like a lifetime commitment. But it's not something I look at as like, oh, I'm going to be in school for 11 years. It's more as like, I'm going to fine tune a craft over the next couple of years so that I can be good at what I do. And with that, it just takes time like anything. Anything worth doing is going to take a lot of time. Like you're not going to be the best podcaster after six podcasts or something like that. It's going to take many podcasts for you to fine tune. And you're already a great conversationalist, but it's just more of like a long haul kind of thing for me. So I'm looking forward to it. I don't know. It's too early in the game for me to be upset that I'm spending so many years in college and essentially forfeiting my 20s. But it's what I want to do. And I'm excited about it. I look at it with excitement and joy and happiness as opposed to just being scared and intimidated by the entire process as a whole. You just got to take it step by step like anything. Great mindset to have. You mentioned briefly that down the line in the long term, you might want to be a surgeon or what have you. But what qualities about yourself when you grew up as a child do you think resonate with this career path that you're going down? So there are a lot of surgeons that will tell you, oh, I'm a perfectionist and this is why I've chosen surgery or whatever. But I've always kind of been a soloist, if you will. So I am a team player. But I've gravitated towards things like weightlifting and focusing on just individual fitness plans for myself and other people, as opposed to something where you're working like with an entire team or a crew or something like that. So I feel as though going to medical school and becoming a doctor takes a lot of discipline and it's a lot of independent work just sitting there studying. And I feel as though that over the years in high school, whether I was studying with a group of friends or just by myself. It always worked better when I was just by myself. So I just kind of want to take that to the next level and be the best doctor I can be, hopefully, and also be able to work with a ton of people when the time comes, but like also having that background of, okay, I know exactly what I need to do, the procedures that need to be taken care of like ahead of time. So it's just kind of who I am as a person. And also, I just genuinely like to help people. It's always been interesting for me to be an EMT and like be a personal trainer because you're actually providing not necessarily a service for someone, but you're improving the quality of their life. And I feel like that's kind of a blessing in disguise, if you will, because sometimes you just feel like you're doing a job, but really you're changing someone's life. So that's where my heart lies with it. Talk more to me about being a personal trainer because I've been trying to do fitness for a very long time. But most people, when they do training, they do everything completely wrong. They don't do the correct technique, et cetera, et cetera. And so, you know, when you ask them six months into their journey, what their progress is like, most of them say, I haven't got the results that I want to have. You as a personal trainer are a resource that people can use to quite literally attain their goals, whether that be physique, fitness, underlying confidence. So 
What's it like to be a personal trainer? It is a ton of fun. So I got interested in personal training one year ago. I just realized that, oh, I can take this one test and become certified. And then I can actually work out with people and get paid for it. So that's great. Why not? And I can do it all throughout college. So I did it just kind of with the intention of honestly learning more about fitness as a whole, because I feel as though all the platforms I've been exposed to thus far have been pretty commercialized and somewhat superficial, whether it's like bodybuilding.com or going to GNC or even Instagram. It's just the sad reality of the fitness culture. So I was looking for a more robust scientific community to really guide me into the actual legitimacy of the physiology behind working out. So I chose to go with an organization called ACSM, which is the American College of Sports Medicine. And they're pretty well known for having all of their exercises and protocols being based on pre-existing literature, whether it's exercise physiology or exercise science. So it was more of like a academic endeavor. And then as I got that certification, it kind of ended up being more of an interest in like, basically, can I apply the scientific method that I've been doing in classes for the past couple of years to someone else where they come in with a certain goal and we essentially take little steps to obtaining that goal. And I thought it was really cool. So yeah, I mean, it's been amazing. I like it a lot. I train all different types of people, young, old, male, female, in good shape, in pretty bad shape. And a lot of people just want to have a good workout, but also have a nice conversation, which is great. So I feel as though at Northeastern, it's a little bit less serious than I would like it to be. But maybe down the line, I can go into some sort of personal training arena, like a gym where there's more serious athletes who are looking to obtain very specific goals as opposed to like being more cut or toning, as some people would say, (laughs) even though it's not really a thing. So it's been a lot of fun. But I don't know, a lot of people who train at Northeastern and it's not a bad thing at all. It's just they don't have much experience. And it's a lot of walking people through the motions, which is great. And I love it. And someone's got to teach you the ABCs. But I think I would only like to like be in a more specialized community of athletes moving forward. You train our mutual friend, Danny Kim, who's been on one of the episodes, which is cool to hear. So the two things that come up for being a personal trainer is one, you must have some seriously interesting conversations because you quite literally spend hours a day training people and whatnot, but then finding patterns in helping people attain their fitness goals or the underlying reasons behind doing fitness. Can you talk more to those? So a lot of the literature that you originally learned is breaking down barriers for people who, you know, there's like a physical barrier or a mental barrier between them and their fitness goals. I mean, Danny's a very busy guy, so he has a very busy schedule. So coordinating times to meet is a challenge with him, but he gives it his best all the time, which I love. And I have a couple other clients that are like really busy people that I have to train before they get to work at 8am. So it's kind of a split path in the sense that there needs to be commitment on both ends. So the person who's being trained needs to be committed to actually working hard and making the changes that they want to see. And then it's on the personal trainers end to follow through with that and not only do their job well and provide great exercises and effective protocols for them, but also follow up with them and say like, hey, how are you feeling after this workout? What went well? What didn't go well? It's out of our scope of practice to talk about nutrition, but in some cases, it's useful to 
kind of guide people to eating healthy and making healthier choices if they're going to be spending a significant amount of time training in the gym. So coordinating that is also useful. But in terms of patterning of people I see, it's pretty simple. People come into the gym because they want to make a change, whether it's having a better anaerobic capacity or just being in better shape. And they're willing to work hard for it, but they also need motivation when they leave the gym. And I think it almost extends into everyday life. If you're willing to put in the work, then you'll ultimately see the results that you want to. Yeah. And I mean, the big thing with personal trainer is that you just have someone who keeps you accountable. And I think accountability is one of the most helpful things that we can have to attain any goal. So it's super cool to hear that you're doing that with personal training and whatnot. And there's a business I know that actually does everything when it comes to a gym. So it does the meal planning for you. It has group sessions and everything like that. And it's, I think, $150 per month. And it's one of the most successful franchises in America, simply because businesses that help people attain their goals and provide a platform to do so, people are willing to spend a ton of money for, right? And to be honest, it kind of amazes me that not as many people get personal trainers because it's someone to keep you accountable. Once you're investing in something, you're going to take it more seriously. But then most of all, you're actually following the expert and you're following what's proven to work rather than trying to reinvent the wheel and think, oh, hey, I'm making progress. But you look at the weighing six months online and it's exactly the same. And I've definitely been in that position. But personal training aside, just within the medical space and within the career path that you envision, what are you doing to prepare to get experience? A lot of what I do is just reaching out to people. So similar to how you would reach out to a mentor, I reach out to doctors at hospitals and say like, hey, can I shadow you? I'm interested in colorectal surgery. Do you have any time for me where I can come into the operating room and just see what you do every day? It's also like checking those boxes, like, am I doing research? Am I keeping up my GPA? Am I studying for the MCAT? Am I doing community service? Am I creating that overall narrative for myself where when I walk into an interview with a medical school and they say, you know, why this school? Why do you want to be a doctor? It all kind of fits together. So my goal is to essentially just create this narrative for myself through everything that I do. And ultimately, the goal is to become a doctor. So it's really just a matter of checking boxes for me. That's kind of how I see this whole process. Fair enough. You mentioned biotech a bit in the beginning. You know, Danny Kim works for PillPack and whatnot. And if you had a similar opportunity like that that came up, do you think you would take it and stop doing medical school? Or do you feel that that really is the career path that you want to go down? I'm actually working in the Lewis lab on campus, which is really cool. And one thing I'm doing there is... I am recreating something called a gut simulator, which essentially just simulates the conditions of your colon and in some cases also the small intestine and stomach so that we can do in vitro studies on the human microbiome, which is that collection of hundreds of trillions of cells and bacteria that live in your gut that create this habitat for you to be healthy. So in doing all this research, it kind of begs the question, well, do I even like it in the first place? And if so, do I consider it to be a potential career path. And it's kind of interesting because the guy who was doing this before me, who was a postdoc student, actually left the Lewis lab and started his own company called Whole Biome, which is in Cambridge now. So who knows? I would be interested in entering the biotech space if it's an opportunity that I see myself being great at. But right now, I'm just a neophyte little amateur researcher doing gut sim stuff. So 
I think that with anything, like if you build yourself a nice little base of knowledge and you're into it, that you can be successful. But I think Danny and I are very different in the sense that he's more kind of monetarily driven. He's pretty interested in like the community of people around it and how things are working from a biological perspective, as opposed to me just being interested in the actual science. So yeah, I definitely haven't ruled it out. We mentioned a bit about the fact that you going to medical school and whatnot could take 14 years. One of the things I ask my guests is, how do you feel about entering the working world? But because with you, that could be <laughs> over a decade in the future. With this career path in general, what would you say excites you about it and what scares you? I think that what's exciting is just becoming really good at one particular craft. So I kind of see it as becoming an artist, if you will. So you're fine tuning your skills and that takes a really long time and people's lives are at stake. So there's a lot of standardized ways of weeding out the people that aren't serious about it. And they are really intimidating and really scary. Like you go to medical school and then you have to take this exam called step one, which is like, do you know your shit? And then you take this other exam called step two and then you match with a residency. So it's a lot of exams. You're competing against incredibly brilliant people. And it is really scary, but you just kind of have to take the more tactical point of view as opposed to the strategic point of view in some cases and take it step by step, as you said. So, yeah, I was on the train with someone yesterday. He's this film director, and I just started talking to him, and he was talking about how it's so scary that college students have to pay so much money for college. And also they sometimes end up back in their parents' house, like right after college, just because they can't afford to do something different. And that is really scary. But I think that these types of podcasts are useful for those students because they can kind of see like, all right, well, what are people doing to get themselves prepared for the next step, whether it's going to medical school and going back to school, essentially, or getting out in the real world and having a job that pays, you know, $50,000 a year. Right. I think it's just trusting the process and having belief and faith that it will work out. And just like you said, just take it step by step. My final question for you, Grant, is what resources do you look for for guidance? That could be in the medical community, that could be studying. What resources have really helped you pursue this career path in general? I think that if you're talking about a community of students, then it's totally necessary for you to talk to your teachers like all the time. And I think a lot of students in college are really afraid of just walking up to a teacher and introducing themselves. But in terms of like all of the success that I feel as though I've had so far in my life, it's really just been me talking to professors and talking to doctors and trying to assert myself as someone who knows what I'm doing, even though I might have no clue what I'm doing at all. But you really have to advocate for yourself. So I think that that's the number one thing that any student or someone going into the workforce can do. Like my sister, for instance, she works at the New York Post and they had her hired part time for six months. And she met with her boss at her six month review and said like, hey, I need to work full time or else I'm not going to support myself in New York City. And they gave her a full time position. So if she hadn't done that before, they probably would have never given her a full time position. Yeah. It just goes to show take an active responsibility. And without being too cliche, without this being a motivational podcast, take yourself seriously because if you don't, no one else will kind of thing. 
Yeah, exactly. I mean, it's pretty easy to graduate with a bachelor's degree and then get a regular job like your average Joe nine to five. But if you really want to take it to the next level, you're going to need to really advocate for yourself, whether it's building a podcast like this or doing research or becoming a personal trainer, whatever it may be. As long as you're just in contact with the right people. Yeah. Just doing something. And always trust the process. Yeah. Any final words, Grant? Good luck to everyone who's listening to this. You guys will definitely make it. This was awesome. Thanks for having me, Jacob. You're the man. Yeah, no worries, buddy. Thanks for being on the podcast. My pleasure.